0: This is Doug. This is Jacob. And you're listening to Best Worst Podcast. Episode 33. 33. Cheers. And this uh, morning's is brought to you by a hummingbird. Hummingbird. Yep. Oomph. Um, not exactly <laughs> the single mulch you're used to, but um, this will be a bit of a different episode because, you know, people hit me up every once in a while. I was like, yeah, you guys only record once or twice a year. And uh, I guess it's because, you know, it's easy to do the festival things and mm. that. But um, as we've just been noticing this morning, like on a day-to-day basis, we kind of have really different viewing patterns yeah so you know I, i'm lucky to be um married to a film reviewer so i go to a lot of advanced screenings and um you're lucky enough to have two kids <laughs> and, so, um, and occasionally we yeah. go to
1: advanced screenings, but not very not very often but I, I i'm yeah i'm not getting to as many as, as i used to um but
0: uh, the odd the odd few here and there. Uh, do you feel like you're missing out or do you feel like you kind of are catching up with most of the things you want to see anyway or
1: uh no I, I there are a lot that i miss that i'd like to get to um but i i'm it basically means if i'm going to a screening it's usually something that i actually want to see so it's i normally have a good a good experience right. nowadays because all the other stuff i just think oh, i'm not interested i'm not going to bother because it means taking a night out because all sort of screening kind of times are around about six thirty, and that's when dinner bath all that whole sort of time after work that i yeah. get to see the kids and if i come home late then i just don't see them for the day
0: oh you could have gone to Blair witch it was like it at ate something
1: <laughs> yeah well the late ones i do go to so like things like um i think when the raid two and stuff like that are on at uh, like right nine o'clock that's fine you know but then that that's a film i want to see so <laughs> yeah
0: um yeah it's interesting because i go to a lot of stuff that i probably wouldn't um pay to see otherwise um <laughs> yeah. and I, I wouldn't even go to but it's a night out with my wife and um mm. And I'll go, oh, I've hated the last Derek, two Derek Chian Francais movies, but maybe I'll like The Light Between Oceans. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, um, I was looking back at the list, and it's like Deepwater Horizon and things like that. And, you know, I went to the Louis Thoreau Scientology movie. That, that was it. Was, it was not good. Um, it, interesting a bit, because the first half is just completely Useless, almost. If if you've seen Going Clear, I haven't
1: seen the Alex yeah. Gibney.
0: What would you make of that? So Going Going Clear was, uh, I mean, it suffers from the usual kind of Alex Gibney of Made being really a, fast. being a, well, <laughs> yeah, basically being an illustrated Wikipedia article. Yeah, but you know, it's a it's a good, convincing, thorough one. And um, but this leans on a lot of the same stuff at the start. Um, apparently, I, and I haven't watched it yet, but there's a BBC documentary from a few years back called Scientology and Me that. Um, uh, people rate even better than that, and that's on YouTube. So if you want only one Scientology documentary in your life and have half an hour, that's supposed to be the one. Oh yeah. Um, the thing about through that I find—I don't know how much of his stuff you've watched. I've seen bits and pieces. Um, yeah. Is that he does the whole? Oh, I'm just an innocent knave who's asking open-hearted questions, and like, I mean, and, he sa- stick. and he says some yeah. stuff that's in in start of Scientology. It's like, would they trust me to give them an open ear? And it's like. Dude, nobody's gonna trust you for that. But one of the reasons I find this really interesting, this film interesting, two reasons. One is uh, Marty Rathbun, who's one of the ex Scientologists who's uh, leaned on it a lot, has published his own interpretation of a lot of the events in the film. And Mm. that's an excellent sort of compendium to what you see on screen of Marty Rathbun who was not paid for his involvement in the film but has been brought on as an advisor to show what Scientology was really like and whose kind of outspokenness leads some of the Scientologists to harass them, which is more or less the only way they kind of make a movie out of it. And um, apparently he'd been working on it for four years and it felt like this thing they'd sunk a lot of energy into and had been going nowhere according to Rathbun's reports. And then when Mm. finally, like, the Scientologist came out of the woodwork to attack Rathbun it was like oh and we've got that on camera and now we have a story um mm. but also I watched the uh Louis throw uh Jimmy Savile okay. uh retro so the- he did a documentary called When Louis Met Jimmy yeah back in 2000 I yeah, think yeah, know and it. yeah and um and at the time he's like oh, he's kind of a weird guy, but, you know, he's been enigmatic, but, you know, they stayed friends afterwards for a bit and stuff. And, um, you know, as an American, Jimmy Savile meant nothing, nothing to me. Yeah. And and then, you know, he died and there was a bit of fuss and then the reports came out and there was, you know... Huge fuss. Huge fuss. <laughs> yeah. But also, um, and so this new documentary is Thoreau kind of trying to reckon with how he got Savile so wrong and is there anything he could have done in interviewing survivors of his abuse and asking them, what did you think when I when you saw the documentary that I did and he's mm. like, Oh, you know, it's just I was embarrassed for you, you'd been hoodwinked and mm. reactions like that. So is it was a really interesting kind of like self reflection of and it showed sort of what he's capable of when he's not mm. kind of going up against, you know, like the Westboro Baptist Church or a group of skinheads. Are you just kind of yeah. um like, I, I saw the the Thoreau felt piece that I really liked was one in Vegas, where he interviewed a lot of people who were living in Vegas, many of whom were problem yeah. gamblers. And, and he found ways into their humanity that was quite interesting, and he can disarm people. But, like, you know, in terms of tall, glasses-wearing journalists involved in shadowy conspiracies and activities behind closed doors i think tickled is still the uh yeah <laughs> film of the, the year sorry yeah. Louis, but um and i know that the two of them get mistaken a lot but um oh, really <laughs> mm, uh, yeah and um multiple people have come up to farrier because they've been chasing each other around the um, oh, the festival, uh, festival circuit, circuit yeah. this year with scientology movie and and tickled and tickled yeah, yeah. okay let's let's move on yeah. so yeah, I mean, I guess we've been talking about what we've been up to. I mean, one of the things I was up to was going to Big Screen Symposium, yeah. uh, which I wrote. Uh, chances are a lot of the people who follow this podcast like will follow Doyle, me on Twitter um, and seen this Chris Doyle article yeah, I wrote yeah, for a Filmmaker. Really yeah, yeah, really and he sounds like a character. I, An odd character. A drunk character? Um, <laughs> I, I, one thing I didn't include in the article is I met him very briefly. He was... Um, filmmaker Chris uh, Pryor who yeah. with his wife Miriam did um, Ground Who One and How Far Seven yeah. uh was his sort of minder to the extent anyone can fill that role for the weekend and um, I said something um, when I saw Chris on the morning that oh, I didn't realize you were coming because he hadn't been on the attendees list and Chris Doyle mumbled something about Pope Benedict and uh, and then wandered off and that was my up close and personal with Chris Doyle and I have a very poor sense of smell and that I don't really pick up on smell um but my wife was like oh my gosh he smells like he ran into a (laughs) scotch truck or something and um yeah um so I and I think a lot of people there didn't necessarily you know people who produce tv for a living or people Mm. who make commercial movies don't necessarily know who Chris Doyle is Mm. and it's like you know for me it's like he is one of the great cinematographers Cinematographers, but you know i know there's a lot of people who work in the industry who for whom hero and in the mood for love Mm. um you know are just as esoteric as like emmanuel de Oliveira film or something Mm. it's like oh it's some kind of subtitled thing whatever oh he did an m night shyamalan movie but who cares you know (laughs) um i mean i've been to the big screen symposium twice and uh last year uh sebastian silva was there yeah. and um jake Mahaffy, who did free indeed, oh, yeah, did free indeed yeah. um and and those were two the real standout ses- yeah. sessions for me especially because they're also quite practical and also is mm. um you know i've i've just finished with my film you know i've just yeah. released jake on vod and all that and so spending a lot of time thinking of what can i do next what's it You know, and and last year it was having two filmmakers who are making really achievable, modest films. And Mahaffey's Free Indeed is a little more ambitious, but he also makes these shorts and stuff. And still, and he gestated that over a long period of time and figured out ways to make it very cheap.
1: Um, Are are his shorts available
0: anywhere? Because I really, really enjoyed Free Indeed. um, I don't think so. I mean, he may have a YouTube channel, but one of the things about Jake Mahaffey as a filmmaker is that he has next to no interest it seems in like actually getting his films out to the world. Like oh. he was there with his producer and like um we were like, oh this free indeed looks amazing, so when are we gonna be able to see it? And he's just kind of shrugged and he's like, I don't know. For me making it's the thing and I'm on to the next <laughs> thing and the producer's like, oh we're hoping to play at the festival next year and maybe we'll do uh theatrical <laughs> and, no. and and yeah and it's just um I mean one sort of dynamic that really I thought about a lot during this big screen symposium um is art versus commerce right and uh and i feel like that's getting more and more divided um dave gibson uh gave a presentation for the new zealand film commission and it was more and more you know they're they're definitely focusing on movies that will have giant international impact you know and um that they can really um get bums and seats for that have good budgets. You know, you're not hearing about micro-budget things anymore. Their idea of a micro-budget is a $500,000 co-pro with an overseas company, of which Tickled was the first one. Um, They spent half an hour, didn't bring up anything about shorts once. Short films are uh, not really important to them anymore. And um, and it's interesting because I've talked to multiple filmmakers who've made really artistic films, and they're like, yeah, those funding strands... Don't exist anymore, mm. Mm. and we don't make the sort of films that we can pre-sell overseas. Yeah, I don't want to be the guy who's like, "Well, look, you know, you've got a year where you've had Hunt for the Wilder People and Tickled, um, you know, be huge international successes." Um, you know, I, I looked online yesterday, and they're both playing at the Second Run Theater where I used to live in Portland. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> like my friends could go have a double feature and see two New Zealand films. You know, mm. when, how often does that happen? overseas um and and they've had other you know successes this mm. year but um it does disconcert me that it's kind of a very increasingly sort of closed ecosystem in terms of yeah the types of projects and they would say well you know, we want to take risks we just want um but we also want to um make sure they're responsible risks and all these things. And, you know, under a third term national government that's edging to a fourth to, mm. you know, risk money on art house films is, uh, versus showing, you know, profitable films. Like, you know, they've earned money back from Hunt for the Wilder People and Tickled. And yeah. so if they can sustain <clears throat> themselves and show that they're not just making, you know, navel-gazing things for Ponsonby or whatever, yeah, yeah. I understand that, but it's... In a country where we're subsidizing the filmmaking, and this is true for television as well, to not be subsidizing things that don't have a commercial imperative Hmm. is questionable. It's
1: it's a matter of philosophical standpoint, I guess. People like ourselves have a strong value on artistic merit and expression and realizing that a lot of what sort of pushes the boundaries of thinking is not stuff that's going to make money. And if your primary um, driver is, is it going to pay for itself, then, yeah. yeah. It's that whole idea that certain thing, you, you fund things to make money to help fund the other things that aren't going to. Yeah. hopefully that balances out.
0: But. Well, and it's also in, in a point where the actual financial return on features is more um, tenuous than ever in a lot of cases, yeah. you know? And just like... I mean, there's feature films that we all know by name that have been at what appear to be international successes. That aren't making that, any money. Yeah, that ha- their producer hasn't made money back on. I mean, The Guest is one that, mm. um, you know, was produced for modest costs, sold all over the world. Um, I still haven't seen that. No, it's terrific. It's, um, yeah, I've heard good things. Yeah, I mean, I really like... Dan Stevens? Uh, Dan Stevens, yeah. yeah who, and Michael Monroe. Uh, yes, yes, exactly. And uh, directed by Adam... Adam Wingard. Yes, who's um, unfortunately Boy or Witch I wasn't as taken by. Yeah. But um, You Were Next and The Guest, I thought, yeah, were both You're terrific. Was fantastic. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and I didn't know Dan Stevens' um, is sheepish guy oh. on Downton Abbey, yeah. which um, was meaningless to me because I hadn't seen Downton <laughs> yeah, Abbey. Yeah, <laughs> and I watched it with my um, uh, then fiancé, now wife, and who Was like, oh my god, he's you know, because he's kind of this Texan soldier and he's bulked up for the film. Oh. <laughs> so it's one of those like, it's that strange thing of when you see a performance that's designed to obliterate a persona, but you mm. don't actually know that persona to have <laughs> yeah, it obliterated, yeah, yeah. it's a <laughs> bit of a funny experience, but yeah. Um, that and apparently, like, heaps of people have seen that, but either illegally downloaded or on Netflix, but they made next to no money off their Netflix sale, and mm. um, and so. And the overseas sales that they made were really marginal. I mean, I've talked to um, producers who've made, you know, micro-budget films, like five figures. And they're like, we've sold it all over Asia and still haven't made our money back. And that's how small the sales are for a lot of these. And so I think that the, the chasing the, oh, we'll make our money back and do this fiscally, you know, large investment is like, I don't know. Maybe just give a lot of people ten thousand dollars and let them come up with crazy crap, and maybe one of them becomes the next, you know, person who gets a YouTube channel or mm. you know whatever. Um, interestingly, like uh, Creative New Zealand is just starting to open up their yeah, ways of getting extremes, things out to the world. Yeah, yeah
1: and they, they basically were talking about all manner of
0: platforms and yeah. And um, Peter Haynes and Hui Ling Ao's, um, who are a long time. Um, 48 Hours Filmmakers, and they did a web series called AFK that wound up um, getting picked up for Sky somewhere. Um, They just got funding to make, uh, I think, like a series of little horror shorts for the web, I was getting told yesterday. (laughs) So, So, yeah. So there's... There are a, little, a lot of interesting outside-of-the-box funding things starting mm. to pop up, but I, I, there's still a l- l- lack of clarity. And I think for my... Yeah, and a lot of yeah. people doing interesting web series are still you know having to push um, crowdfunding. And- the only ways to make money are to be making commercial objects mm. that are so big that they can't help but be successful, and everything else is a risk. And even mm. those large commercial objects yeah. are a risk, obviously. Um, except for very specific demographics like for old people um, the days of the mid-budget feature earning mm. its money back are over I mean the rehearsal, which we can talk about a bit, has mm. come and gone, you know mm. um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting they didn't actually bring up the rehearsal at all at Big Screen Symposium, yeah. except that um, I saw Emily Perkins talk to uh, author John Raymond who yeah. is famous for collaborating with Kelly Reichert. Kelly Reichardt and um, And you've actually read some of his stuff, right?
1: Yeah, I'm currently reading uh, a collection of short stories called Livability Stories. I I don't know if it's actually Livability Stories or Livability is the title, and then it's just got a collection, sort of description of stories. Um, But that includes, uh, the first of the shorts in that is um, the short, uh, it's called Old Joy, so Old Joy is based off that, um, and it's very closely... um, um yeah holds to the
0: the the film holds close to to the short yeah um except uh, so this is interesting because he read from old joy okay and so um one of the things about it um and he read the bit where the title comes out is that there's a lot of internal monologue yeah which of course is not in the film and there's not voiceover in the film
1: yeah no they turn that into to dialogue um As much as you can spoil a film like this, uh, <laughs> turn your ears off if you don't want to know. But the the, the title um, is, is not necessarily apparent. But they're talking about how um, how sort of sorrow and disappointment is just like joy that's gone old, yeah. um, so old joy, and and it, it's a, a exploration of a, of, a, of an old friendship um, that has moved on. That these two yeah. friends have sort of gone in different directions. Um, not quite as different in the book. Perhaps as in the film, well, they just they're, they they stress a few things which have changed differently in in the film. Yeah. So in the film version, um, one of the par- uh, one of the friends
0: um, has a has a partner and looks like it has a child on the way, whereas in the book yeah. he's still by himself. And John um, Raymond mentioned being disappointed that he didn't think about giving the friend the kid, in the it? Yeah, yeah, book. yeah, yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, and and other funny little things like they um, in the film um, Rikert switches the person who's driving which actually m- makes a really interesting dynamic shift it's mm. subtle but it's interesting
0: it's one of the things that raymond talked about is um actually that sometimes if things aren't working you flip it around yeah. and, and and there's there's our i think there's dialogue in all joy that was flipped from one character yeah. to another yeah. and he says he often uses that as a writing thing if he can't get things to well, work yeah is is it suddenly somebody else saying it is uh
1: and the and the other um the I think it's the final one, or at least it's near the end I'm um, and I've just started it is um is a short called Train Choir, which is the basis of Wendy and Lucy. Yeah. Yeah. Um and that's starting promisingly. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, and I think the thing with John Raymond is he's he's not careerist. He's a guy that lives in Portland and kind of fell into working with Kelly Reichardt on four films, yeah. Old joy, Wendy and Lucy, Lucy. Meeks cut off and um, n- night moves. Yeah. Um, and the first two based on stories and then the second two original. Mm. And now he's taken a break because, um, uh, Kelly made a uh, certain Women which was Mowen based on male Molloy. Malloy's yeah. book. And it sounds like he's not working on anything with her at the moment, but you know, still comes yeah. over for dinner most nights when she's in town and yeah. stuff <laughs> like that. So, so they're friends. Um, but yeah it wasn't it seemed like it wasn't really an industry it's more these things that evolved and yeah it's um, like
1: a, a creative ecosystem where people are sort of bumping into each other and you get that a, that, a sense of that with um with little filmmaking collaboratives uh, collaborations with people who either know each other from because they grew up in the same town and they you know, it's, it's small space and so if you're interested in certain things you just end up in the same places um, or people that studied together and then they go on to sort of collaborate on things yeah, it's, it, was, yeah. it used to be for me anyway it seemed more apparent in music than in, um, mm. than in film but that's seemingly more apparent now and lots of little collaborations happening
0: yeah I think that's I mean I think the 48 hours thing you see mm. some of that with some of the groups working together I think like uh, the Haynes film thing I mentioned they're working with the Halcyon Digital guys oh, who yeah, are now yeah. running 48 hours and oh, and yeah, um, and, yeah and, we, and when we made Jake we had you know um, Toby who we knew from Idiot Vision who had been in our heats playing yeah. a key role and things like that but it is, um, it is it's something I, I think you know is we're both people who are um, getting older in our own yeah. <laughs> way. Well, in the same way that everyone else gets older. <laughs> but, you know, you have to look at that, like how much time do you have to dedicate to these things? You've got all these different things. I mean, our listeners know how infrequent we get together yeah, to yeah. Uh, do this. Um, and, and yeah, I think that, that, you know, John Raymond didn't seem like a guy who was like, he wasn't sending out spec scripts to Hollywood or anything yeah. like that or looking for filmmakers to work with, he was just like, Oh, this is a thing that I do. And he's found his niche. And, and um, those, and those catalytic friendships that you find at a certain level to form a group are really important. Um, quick deviation. And then we'll go back to yeah. that. Um, there's a couple, uh, indie features that are out right now. Um, going, making their way around New Zealand. There's this one called baseball that I got really interested in by a guy named F Theodore Elliott, who um, and it's a really experimental piece. That's kind of it's shot on apparently like ten different cameras, and yeah. he's like the most expensive one is five thousand dollars. The <laughs> next next most expensive is five hundred, and it goes down <laughs> from there. So it's a sort of mixed media moments, and there's like um, a bunch of actors kind of walking through abandoned neighborhoods or going into what seem to be abandoned houses and finding. Um, tapes like there's a bit where just a guy finds his tape of Daniel Johnson and sits and listens to it. it there's it, footage of under of Tarkovsky's Stalker that oh, yeah, yeah. somebody's watching on a screen, and it's kind of this. Um, and it doesn't really quite coalesce into a plot. I don't even really know if it's intended to be post apocalyptic or if it just sort of Seems feels that way. Yeah. And and there's certain things about it that are quite awkward, but it's also quite striking and really. Mm-hmm. Um, stuck with me since I, I've seen it, because it is so... Is it an Auckland based Non-career. So it's, yes, it's shot all over Auckland. Yeah. Um, and it turns out that the director of that was also the camera person for um, uh, This Giant Paper Mache Boulder is actually really heavy, which is was a film that was attempted to get win the Make My Movie competition oh, many right. years yeah, yeah. ago. Didn't win it, but um, stuck in there and yeah. made that and is now... Um, this sci-fi, it's it's kind of it seems like a Galaxy Quest kind of oh, yeah. conceit that I haven't seen, uh, so I can't know for sure. Um, but yeah, they the these people go from this TV show kind of thing into the actual oh, world yeah. well, of it yeah. back and forth. So, um, and the um and the, so that's one of those places where there's this kind of bleed over between, um different filmmakers working together. And uh, another film, uh, Chronesthesia, which is playing right now. uh, Who's that playing? uh, At the Academy. Academy, Uh, It's a little um, Wellington film, and the best way to describe it is like Memento as a sci-fi rom-com, which is, and it's, I think, written, directed, starring, and possibly edited by the same guy, which is always a bit scary and i think some of it's the i I don't think it's perfect film but it's one of those films that if baseball is like very deliberately primitive and off-putting and weird this is actually one of those feature debuts that feels very accomplished and um but you know almost to the point where it's like oh you will kind of want it to go to that next level of being not just a really you know polished debut but you know actually Hmm. getting past a few of it Of its minor weaknesses, but I wouldn't want to dwell on those too much because I think it's, you know, a strong example of what you can do in 2016 with a small team of people, um, no money, and a strong concept. Mm. Um, You know, it's beautifully shot for the most part. There's the stray shot that's out of focus or something like that, but, um, you know, very well put together, Mm. Um, some good central performances and side performances. The thing that I struggle with is just that kind of thing that you often have in a film of like here's the white male lead here's the people that are unaccountably always falling in love with the white male lead and he's kind of like slightly sad and distant and um, to some extent there's late breaking attempts to address some of those things but it it is uh, uncomfortably uh, familiar but Mm. still like really worth checking those films out if you have any interest in that. Now let's see if I can dogleg back, back. <laughs> into what I was talking about. I, I think well I mean it's like you, it's a collaboration
1: if we go back to John Raymond I, yeah. I, I'm just interested to hear how did the um how did the session
0: sessions yeah that, well he right? had two and one I missed because it yep. was contemporaneous with Christopher Doyle yeah um and the other one was with Emily Perkins who wrote the rehearsal and yep. what I was going to say is you know they didn't have a session on the rehearsal yeah but um you know John and uh, and John's a laid-back guy and Emily's, yep. you know um I studied with her at yep. um uh, Vic and yep. she, and she's very good, but for I think for film people, she she some people said, oh she's really bookish. I'm like, well yeah, so she's an author <laughs> and she talked and she talked way more about themes and that sort of thing, and and also kind of talked for people who cared as much about Kelly Reichardt films as she did, which yeah. I don't think necessarily a lot of the people in the room even knew who Kelly Reichhart was much less cared about this person who had collaborated and you know a lot of his answers were like oh that's something I left to Kelly to figure out right? or so it's great yeah. to see what Kelly did with it so there was a bit of like getting mm. somebody who's a really interesting person yeah. but talking about things in a slightly yeah. like maybe not quite the right environment mm. for that but they had this discussion about what's easier to write novels or screenplays and um, he's like, oh man, screenplays are so much easier, you know, because you can leave so much stuff out. And you know, novels, I'm sweating every word, but screenplays, you know, just, um, you know, it's so easy. You know, it's like fifteen thousand words instead of eighty thousand for a full length thing, and there's all these gaps. And and Emily's like, no, he's totally wrong, you know. <laughs> screenplays, are... and, and and the funniest moment of it was like, you know, but it's like you you have all this stuff that you're trying to get in there, and then you have to take it all out to make it fit. He's like. Or you could just not work so hard and not put it all in in the first place. <laughs> which, which was a pretty funny <laughs> moment. Oh, um, dear. But, yeah, which, which made me think about the rehearsal again, which mm. I think is a film that has a lot. And I, since yeah. we've last talked, I've seen You've it. Seen it um, yeah. And um, I would have loved to see um, Allison and Emily and whoever else um, felt like it, Bridget Eichen or... Um, Eleanor Catton, though, she yeah. seems to have stepped away from right. the adaptation of that, in part because she's working on her Luminaries adaptation yeah. as we speak. Uh, talk about that process, because I feel like the film uh, really betrays... And I, Sorry, we're hopping all over the yeah. place, but hopefully our listeners are kind of following. I mean, at this point, the rehearsals opened on September 15th in yeah. theaters, and it's already down to like one Almost screening a day, day at yeah. Rialto, so I don't think... Until video, you'll have a chance to see it. And, you know, in 2016, that doesn't really mean a lot. Mm. Um, But the book is born of this sort of strong aesthetic sense that's not of realism. You know, the saxophone teacher is always called the saxophone teacher and speaks in aphorisms in very unnaturalistic ways. And there's this place called the Institute that, you know, outside of like a Cronenberg film or something like that, isn't the sort of place you'd see on screen unless you had a production designer doing like this Elysium style or, yeah. you know, like um, one of those kind of crazy futuristic yeah. things. And so and I think it's using that kind of elevated remove to talk about issues and talk about um, its subject matter. And everything I've seen Alison McLean say about, the rehearsal of the film is i want to make a film about how youth live today mm. and i think the film really captures the dissonance between that aim and the aim of the source text Thanks. oh yeah um and i think there's there's some really beautiful lived-in moments in the film mm. um you know just people hanging out at flats and, Mm, like, watching videos on YouTube and watching Color of Pomegranates on a laptop or just hanging out. And you get that sense of, like, um, if they've been able to sort of go to the next level of abstraction Mm. and just been like, actually, let's just completely untether us from this text. Mm. But, you know, there's these fantastic moments. Um, You know, I've been surprised that Alice Englert's been so... In front of the publicity for the film, but mm. isn't in the film very long. But she has um, one particular great speech that I'm pretty sure is from the book, and you know, and very mannered, but just in- incredibly striking. So you can see how mm. you know you have this abundance of riches of the source text, yeah. and then the, all these other ideas coming in, and so um, not having talked to Emily about it, but with the sense of how do you fit all that. Stuff into a coherent thing, and yeah. that's, which is something that clearly would have evolved all the way through. I mean, um, they went through uh, multiple editors on the film, and yeah. so yeah, I, I definitely didn't find it as successful as um, you and David David yeah. found it. Um, but I don't, I don't know if any of that changes your <laughs> opinion on it, or um, indeed well, having watched I, other and McQueen's films. I
1: still haven't um read the book, and I will right. at some stage because we've got it sitting around at home. Yeah. Um, but so i I'm, I'm approaching it purely as a piece of cinema with no sense of sure. what it might have been um,
0: from a text point yeah. Yeah. but does describing that dissonance resonate with you at all in, in thinking about the film or not really yes it does it does have some strange
1: kind of some strange kind of tone oil on it it's like like when mm. when people say it's like the idea that it, that it, that it's um, about youth today yes and no um i look at that and i sort of think really um not that i'm kind of completely connected to youth today i mean i've yeah. got young kids but i mean I, I, I work in an environment where there's a lot of um 18 19 year olds at university first years um wandering around and yeah i, I, don't, I don't know how well that captured some of it i mean a lot of it feels as you said like a little bit kind of managed mannered and stagey um mm. but the whole idea of um, kind of capturing a f- a f- an aesthetic of a flat that that worked for me, but almost like a retro kind of feel, like my days of living in flats I, yeah, I remember having no money. I remember coming to these scrubby places where you know the door may or may not work, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, where there's like a, a screen across a window because you know no yeah. one can be bothered getting it fixed or whatever. Um, and uh, so those sort of touches seem realistic, but I don't know how today they are yeah. necessarily. Um, but in terms of the film, for me. It, it hung together quite well. I enjoyed the, the the sense of movement in it. I enjoyed the the story, like I'm because I don't know how it was translated from the story of the right. saxophone teacher into a tennis coach and what have yeah. you. Um, and Alice is the the
0: young girl actress, right? Yeah, uh, she's one of the ones on the team with James Rolleston. Oh, she's oh not yes. the love Oh, interest. no, no, yeah, no. So, her, yeah. what's her name? She's oh, I can't remember her name right now. I'll look it up very quickly. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah but she's quite good um and james rolleston is terrific
1: they're they're fantastic so performances are great and i think there was some for me the the interplay around how much of this is performance how much of this and do the characters actually know worked quite well
0: ella edward is ella edward that's right yeah yeah she
1: was fantastic um but yeah that that kind of confusion of where am i finding myself in this like these young people trying to um trying to study to be something yeah that that they have a sense of this is what i might want to be and this is this is part of where my identity might be wrapped up and and certainly i've found myself in this place because i've found Mm. something in myself that relates to this um so in this case drama but then everything is kind of a performance everything is trying to get away from like peel back layers of yourself and then it's it's that really Uh, uh, confused interesting sort of from as an audience member going how much of this is performance, and as characters, how much of it is performance, and do they know? Do they well, know where they stop, where they start? I mean, there's some nicely confused pieces between uh, James Rolston's character and Carrie um, Fox's teacher character, yeah, which have this beautifully confused sort of character tone to them, which is quite nice.
0: Yeah, um, Ella, uh, Ella Edward, I think, yeah. I, same was the thing. But um, there's... Um, the james ralston bit that i think is fascinating is where he's performing as his father, father yeah. in front of the class yes, yeah and it's the most lived in natural Initial moment but, that he yeah. has in the film and you yeah. feel like he's just so comfortable in that and yeah. and yet that's actually um the most performative that, yeah. in terms of that and i i do think it's something that uh, is very I mean having made a film about actors and stuff like yeah. that and delineating those layers is very difficult and it's one of those strengths that um of the film that it's works so smoothly you don't um notice or you notice in interesting ways yeah, yeah. that are helpful to the film rather than counterproductive. Yeah. And um yeah, you have that whole question of as youth you you are rehearsing for adulthood as well yeah. and so there's that aspect of it as well as you're trying things on and seeing if they work and that's all in there the one um, performance that didn't work for me so well um, I think the name's uh, Kieran charnock he's the yeah the, the, the guy friend. who gives the big confession at the yeah. Um, yeah. story about um, his family and, yeah, yeah and Carrie Fox calls him out for being fake yeah. um, and and there's a whole kind of emotional like kind of through line that that characters supposed to follow through that because of his tension of, of where he's really sitting I, I don't think quite lands with any emotional mm. heft and his yeah. the the other people's investment in him doesn't quite fit yeah. for me and that's yeah. another of those kind of in between moments of, yeah. no, um, I'd agree with that. of that something that because there's these moments of abstract exploration and stuff that you don't live inside mm. the characters and and in part that's something that's devilishly tricky to do when you have yeah. characters that are performative mm. so uh, the other thing i'm really curious though is how your take on it shifted if at all after watching yeah, um, um yeah Alison McLean's other two features yeah, so, which so you've I, had oh,
1: yeah, a... I caught up with um yeah. with um Alison McClain's, um crush which um there was m- multiple pieces of in um tim wong's um uh, out of the mist right. yes um and since seeing that I thought wow gee I've got to see this Um, looks fantastic Uh, and that was from 1991 I think maybe Um, and then um, I caught up with her her 99 Jesus Son um, which was a film in the states, with um, Billy Crudup, uh, Samantha Morton, um, and in fact, a massive cast of um, people
0: who oh, I just kept surprising the faces that again, yeah. Jack Black, Jack Black, <laughs>
1: yeah, um, but also like um, Miranda July was in there. Um, oh, really? The I wouldn't. Part. Yeah, that's that like was probably about parts.
0: six months before I would have recognized <laughs> her. Yeah, uh,
1: small small parts for for, for these um, people. Michael Shannon, really? Yeah, ninety yeah, nine. Wow, yeah, yeah. and he he had a sort of a slightly recurring role, but like, and that was a fascinating piece. But yeah, so. So Crush is, is a more kind of, I guess, compact together story of, of uh, kind of like a, a, a young girl. So, For those who don't know, um, it starts off with um, a couple of um, writers, film critics, I think maybe, or, or, or book critics maybe, who are travelling to a small town to visit um, with uh, an author um, and they have a car accident and... One of them goes into uh, a hospital, and the other one, who's the American friend who's been living in New Zealand, um, played by um, is it marcia Gay Harden? Yeah, marcia Gay Harden. Yeah, um, uh, who people might remember from the Collins um, Millers Crossing. Um, and so she's kind of this exotic presence from out of town who goes into and meets up with this writer and, and doesn't pretend to be her friend, but kind of there's this mistake at first and then she sort of insinuates, insinu- insinuates herself into that um, father-daughter situation and then into the town and, and cr- creates a bit of a stir. And and this of, is all in Rotorua. Yeah, yeah, and so oh, there's yeah. sort of whole bubbling yeah, underneath. Yeah. Uh, and and then there's this bizarre sort of mesh of things where she kind of creates loyalties and, and, and opens up possibilities for this young girl but then that turns on itself and turns into some sort of bitterness and 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 uh and and a young teen girl kind of feeling slighted and under, misunderstanding yeah, her own yeah. sort of sense of who am i and what are my sexual desires and what am i um where is my worth and all that kind of she's exploring those things and and this woman sort of mixing it up in the middle
0: and meanwhile the friend is still recovering in hospital off yeah. to the side is not um, there a scene where she like puts on false eyelashes as a mustache or something like that
1: um i think or so yeah. some kind
0: of Gender bending, quite thing, and it seemed all that kind of like yeah, definitely fluidity yeah, of there's, identity. There's, there's definitely um
1: on. like and um there's a bisexual element kind of playing through it yeah. the entire entire time it, it, and it's 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 fascinating in that it's like set in this very s- small town New Zealand location which mm. is very kind of in some ways drull and um, muted greens and like the mm. bubbling mud like nothing sticks out except for the American woman who's kind of got bright clothes and personality doesn't she have a bright car or something as well i remember the uh, they car was really sticking i think out. it's a red there's a sort of layer of um i say abstraction and surreal kind of layering on top of just this really mundane setting um, which yeah. is really interesting there's a really interesting interplay in there works really well in crush
0: yeah um, i think I, the other thing that's worth pointing out is that i think that for americans new zealand will play as much more Alien place, and specifically yeah. Rotorua. Yeah. I mean, I think that yeah, it's a bit, you know, for New Zealand, New Zealand it's anyone in New Zealand, Zealand's like, oh, it's Rotorua. There's some mud pits, yeah. you know. Um, but for um, Americans, it's almost like you know, it's like, what is this? Like the surface of the moon? Yeah. You know, yeah. Apart from Yellowstone, we don't have yeah. that kind of uh, yeah. thing, and it's not as yeah celebrated, I suppose.
1: And she carries on that in Jesus' Son. There's a, there's a sense of um, of nobody looks like a Hollywood person in the sense that you've got these a few actors that you recognise, some that have sort of sort of kept out of the very mainstream parts of things, mm. but everyone is very lived in, grimy, no one looks super pretty. There's mm. lots of um, supporting characters who are just kind of your average everyday looking people. Um, and then there's this layer of weird kind of surrealness across the top of it. Um, and so she really sort of meshes these very, very normal, um, super mundane with quite strange kind of um, layers that explore kind of ideas of the way that people relate and how people find meaning. And um, yeah. so, and Jesus' son, she works through um, a couple of uh, heroin addicts um, and the, and that's based on a bunch of short stories. I thought very much of yet Gen- yet Dennis Johnson. Dennis Johnson. Yeah. Yes. Dennis Johnson. Like apparently a set of short stories that he had um, that are, that are loose. um the description of them is that they're loosely related. and, this, yeah, that film is very vignette based, but it's got the central character, Billy, Billy Currick's character, and Samantha Morton's who runs through it and comes in and out. Um, but just little stories and interactions with people. But it actually hangs together as a story because she kind of has it as him going through a section of life, um, and it's almost almost sort of timeline. But he jumps back and forth as he's kind of telling you parts of the story as a narrator, and then jumps into another vignette, and then jumps back to where he was talking. Oh, wait, on I'm getting ahead of myself. I should yeah. yeah you know? um, but it works quite well. It actually strings together as a story very nicely, but it's also quite surreal in the way that these characters play out. Um, got this bizarre sequence in that with Jack Black as a as a, hot, as a hospital orderly and... Talking Billy, cotton uh, balls, right? Yeah, talking yeah. cotton balls at one stage because they get high on something and then they go on this weird trip and they run over a rabbit and then they're like, hey, let's um, eat it. And Jack Black goes, I'm going to go and scoop it off the road. And he runs off and he comes back with a handful of baby Jones. rabbit. Oh my god. Things and, and they're like, "Oh, we have got to keep these things alive." And then,
0: yeah. <laughs> it's it's funny cuz I haven't seen it since the theater. So I, I enjoyed it fine at the time, but um uh, there would have been, you know, I wouldn't have known who Michael Shannon was or any of those things. Insane but also at it the just time, it just, just seemed like this see kind McQueen. of like this was going to be Alison McClain's breakout and then yeah. like she was going to go on to bigger bigger well, I, things. I thought the same thing then... about Billy Crudup
1: as well. You kind of saw him it, and it's almost you almost sort of see it as um say uh like mickey Rourke kind of <laughs> right oh, this guy looks like he's, he could launch off into a career that could be quite interesting and quite big but actually then he just sort of continued to sort of bubble away in smaller yeah he's still going
0: yeah but he had that period and and i think almost yeah. famous in a few other roles yeah. were around there, there was some one where he was a runner maybe prefontaine or something like that i can't remember um but uh there yeah, yeah. and and it's like you know, they have these little periods yeah. like, w- we'll put Sam Worthington in everything. Maybe yeah, this yeah. will work. Yeah, not yeah, really. Yeah. Oh, well, it's worth a, g- yeah. G- worth a go. Um, and yeah. G- Jesus' Son,
1: like, I, at first I was like, oh, gosh, what is this going to be like? Because it started off and it had like that, It was, it's 1999, and it had that late 90s vibe going in terms of the music it was using, the font was... Just so of its right. era and passé of its era, like oh my gosh, this is hitting, this is ticking too many of the indie darling bells of the time. Yeah. Um, and then the musical transitions at first were terrible. I I thought oh, I'm gonna hate
0: this film. Like the needle drops, or just the way they transition. Um, Like, yeah,
1: like um, so you've got a scene. Um, you've got a few like a an establishing shot with um, a few few shots of a town, street, um, some trucks going. Then suddenly right. um, you see someone walking then and and like um cool indie sound um, song of the time goes on full strip and then cuts to another song as someone else moves along and you're just like oh mm,
0: really that's interesting (laughs) because she used some really aggressive musical editing in the rehearsal as well which I I was yeah
1: and so maybe for the first 10 minutes I was going oh no this is just I'm going to cringe the entire way through this but then I found my rhythm with it and um, it still had those things where occasionally I just thought okay maybe this was just of the time and she was going with it but Actually, her way of dealing with um, bringing these vignettes together, having this, this, like I said, that this layer of mundane with sur- sur- a surreal sort of fuzz around it, was really, really good. And um, and, yeah, and her pulling those bits together, I, I, the things like Billy Crudup was fantastic. His he was the entire way through. He was convincing, engaging, um, really, really interesting. A lot of the um, the uh, like I said, the um, the support performances in these little vignettes, so people sort of popping up in almost cameo sort of roles, even though you didn't necessarily know who they were, were great as well. Um, Samantha Morton, um, who was maybe two years um, off, right. off yeah. the back of... Um, Uh, what I remember her from, which is like a TV movie version of Emma.
0: Oh, right. She did this film Under the Skin as well, not to be confused with the more recent one, and that was her big breakout. Yeah.
1: Um, She she looked like a young actress. She's in a a role trying to play an American girl, and it's mostly succeeding, but she had times where it was almost like she was... I don't know, I know how much of it was performance, how much of it was direction, but she was just a little too much. Um, mm. But for the most part, she worked really well as well. And there were some sequences where she's just fantastic,
0: but a couple where she was a bit shaky as well. Um, it's one of the weird things about, um, I think, filmmaking in general is yeah. it's just such a complex art yeah. and you get so few chances to do it and there's so many moving parts. And mm. so it is really depressing that you know 17 years between Jesus' son and the rehearsal. Yeah. And I know that Alison McLean directed some TV and made a yeah. documentary in there. So it's not like she hasn't used any of those muscles, yeah. but it is, um, it's still actually like finding, yeah. finding voice and finding, yeah. um, well, a way to get all this, these disparate moving parts to work definitely together. A voice you can see in
1: those three and, yeah. uh, and I can see, how would you rate them? Oh, it's hard to say. Actually, Jesus, son, um, I'm sort of up and down on crush things like a, a better together piece. Yeah. Um, and it's really interesting. The ending, for me was t- telegraphed a little bit and i was like oh yeah there's one of three things going to happen here and one of them happened yeah um but it still was really interesting and 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 it was very well done um jesus son was a little bit kind of more it was a little it's messy and perhaps structure was probably a lot to do with that in terms of way but it was so interesting and there yeah. were so many good vignettes within that um and the and the tr- journey of the central character um was pretty pretty
0: interesting but it's i suppose it's the nature of those episodic things that you know you're going to go up and down depending on how Um, you feel about certain episodes as opposed to having the satisfactions of a more coherent narrative arc and then the rehearsal yep
1: um i really enjoyed um Oh, hard for me to pick pick a favorite out of those. Actually, Um, there were certain aspects of each of them that I really enjoyed, and that I would rate
0: over and under the. And you see them all as kind of of a piece, having watched them all relatively
1: rapidly, or do they? Yeah, they're, they're very. I mean, they're very distinct in terms of their tone, story, but I would say they're exploring the same kinds, or they're using this similar tools to unpack kind of ideas that are related yeah I, I you wouldn't say that that they were part of a trilogy of films as such but right. you can see the same filmmaker still you know investigating similar kind of things
0: and and, and it's
1: not it doesn't it's not old it's, yeah it's, it's nice yeah
0: it's been interesting Um, I'm, I'm going to hijack things now because um, I've been mostly watching new stuff but yeah. I, I've been getting a few um, older titles and looking back at yeah. things and um, one that I recently watched uh was the Outsiders. Oh, yeah, um, which Paul, is Paul yeah, Paul, yeah, yeah. which is kind of doesn't hit the top tier of, you know, you go through and do your you know, watch your Godfathers and Apocalypse Now, yeah, yeah. and conversations and and, you know, I watched Dracula a little bit ago and, you know, that those those are kind of the the highlights and then The Outsiders is really interesting because it kind of at the time when it came out when I was ten or twelve or whatever, it just seemed like it was gonna be this like naturalist film about um you know, this gang of kids yeah, gang. and something goes wrong and all that. And it, and it, you know, roughly that's the story. Um, in a city stand by me. Kind of. <laughs> yeah. But it, but it is so Coppola looking at it, yeah. the camera angles and some of the, you know, elaborate set construction things mm. that go on, you know? Um, and it, it, it can be such a delight to see those signatures. Um, or on the other hand, you can have something like, I also watched fear and desire recently um, which is the very first Stanley Kubrick movie? Oh, right, I don't and, think I've seen it. Um, it is incredibly hard for me to advocate for it on conventional grounds. Yeah. There's people who say, like, um, you know, it's you know the first glimmers of Kubrick's masterpiece, and I'm like you got to be looking pretty close in my opinion i mean it's really awkward it's really long there's a couple nice shots in it like yeah. at, you know you'd hire the guy to do that but um but there were some quite generous reviews of it at the time and also like because i don't spend day in day out watching you know films from the mid 50s mm. i'm like am i being a bit overly hostile to it but it is also that kind of uh moment where you're like wow it's incredible that somebody can go from you know something almost just this side of inept to 2001, in like, yeah, you know, the matter of 13 years or something like that. I forget um, when Fear and Desire dropped, but I think it was the 50s, oh, okay. and so, you know, 2001 was 68, and just like... Oh, wow.
1: I'd forgotten it was so early.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's insane, so, um, you know, and definitely one of the, um, I think, accelerating things is that Kubrick recognized his talent wasn't in writing, and, yeah. you know, crucially, you know, just everything after that was either an adaptation of a novel or developed with a novelist, you know, and uh, so that, seeing that DNA play out in various ways, I guess, is one of these weird little mild joys, And um, Mm -hmm. but it's always a question of how far do you, yeah. Dig and at what point it, are the returns diminished enough? Yeah. Um, but it's nice to have filmmakers where you can knock out their filmography in a weekend, like with Alice <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and um, you know, you could probably do Kelly Reichardt in a weekend, for yeah. that matter. Yeah, um, for sure. But so, how'd you go with the outsiders? You- oh yeah, I liked it. Um, I didn't love it, um, but I think uh, it was. It's amazing to see so many young actors. If if you haven't seen um, The Outsiders
1: and you have some idea of um, the kind of, well, it's not even the the Brack Pack as such, but there are so many kind of iconic 80s, 90s actors
0: stashed in that um film. i can't even remember them all it's just like tom cruise everybody. before he yeah, got um tom cruise tom cruise is is like... matt like... dylan patrick yeah. Swayze, yeah um ralph Macchio, ralph Macchio yeah, and Alfie. c thomas howell is yeah, the lead yeah. and uh yeah and they just keep popping up and you're just like oh my gosh this was uh, and you know it's one of those things that you imagine watching that, 80, that film early
1: early I think 83 or something 83, like
0: yeah. that yeah um yeah, I, I, I really, I'd say, you know, three and a half star kind of yeah. reaction of like, oh, this, there's some really lovely um, stuff in here. Um, it very much felt like, um, I mean, it was literally written by a high schooler, I think, Essie Hinton. Essie Hinton, yeah, um, you know, very Hinton. young. We read, and, read the book at high school, which was one of the reasons that I saw the film. Recently, yeah, and it, and it has roughly the narrative and thematic complexity and it has a lot of and this happened and this happened and this happened rather than a kind of um set of moments that builds to an inexorable Mm. sort of shift um but stylistically it's just so strong and the performances Mm. are engaging and and it's still fundamentally it's a core enough of a strong story story of you know you know two young boys in abusive neighborhood and and abusive family and yeah. all this and then something goes wrong and they've got to go on the run and mm. um, Tom Waits pops up in it for like 15 seconds. Oh, really? Yeah, there's the bar that Matt Dillon's character oh, is yeah, hanging out yeah, in and yeah. they go in and Tom Waits opens the door which oh. <laughs> is a lovely because um, One from the Heart was around the same time oh, as yeah. well which is um, one of those unfairly, in my opinion, maligned um, mm. Ford, Francis Ford Coppola films. Mm. It's it's a fast... Have you seen it? Um, no. no. It's brilliant. It's all set-based and like... Um, and the sets he built were astonishing and yeah. you know it's this um, kind of you know musical uh, doomed love uh, thing that's quite so theatrical the Tom, and, um, yeah, Tom yeah Tom Waits is the male lead in it yeah. um, and it's it, the story is that he made um, One from the Heart as his rebound film after he thought Apocalypse Now was going to be a disaster and then oh. Apocalypse now <laughs> <and> <laughs> finally, <laughs> when it finally came out everyone was like woohoo and then went from the heart completely Tank. flopped. <laughs> so you, uh, you know, you never know anything. No. Um, but yeah, it's uh, um in which is this is sort of an awkward segue, but I'll make it. Um, in terms of old films, I'm still waiting to hear this year about the uh, movie marathon. But probably oh, yeah. the most exciting news is that the. Um, Hollywood Theatre is back open for business yes. and uh, projecting 35 millimeters. So I went along to the opening oh,
1: really? um,
0: cool. a what few weeks on? ago. Uh, well, so they showed Don't Breathe, yeah. uh, which was terrific, actually. I really enjoyed it. I haven't seen Fede Alvarez's um, previous film, which was the Evil Dead remake. Yeah. Um, Don't Breathe is very much of a piece of uh, Green Room and Train to Busan and a lot yeah. of these other yeah. lockdown
1: thrillers. Yeah.
0: Um and um, it doesn't have like necessarily as strong of characters as Green Room or the kind of the setting of it, but it's just um, so mechanically precise and so satisfying mm-hmm. in terms of how it all plays out with these three young um, teen, late teens, early twenties who uh, decide to rob this house where there's this blind veteran who got this large cash settlement uh, when his. Uh, daughter had been hit by a car and oh, got yeah. killed. And so um, they're like, Oh, we'll just go knock over this blind guy and then we'll get the money and we'll go. What could go wrong? <laughs> <What> <laughs> everything, <you> everything. <laughs> and yeah, it's just, and so it's just this, you know, Rube Goldberg machine of, and then yeah. this and then this really, and then yeah. this and, and lots of great um, setups and you really get to know the architecture of the place. And so you, and you know, you see this skylight window and you know, like 40 minutes later w- when it c- becomes important that there's a skylight that, window yeah, there yeah. how it works but you've already yeah. had that 40 minutes of dread of like yeah. oh that's not going to be good or yeah yeah there's the shoes left by the door yeah. there's all these kind of Marcus, moments yeah. but um the joy of seeing it at the hollywood was they showed a few uh 35 mil trailers before oh, it as wow, well cool. so uh they showed uh cat people and the hunger mm-hmm. and then uh psycho 2 actually so it was it was apparently just a last minute decision i was talking to um, matt timpson who runs it afterwards and says he listens to this so hey matt um and he's just like oh yeah well we've got the trailers so um yeah they've done beautiful work inside um and nice they they've got new apparently completely new 35 mil uh projectors installed Uh, or i mean I say new I yeah, don't but, think anyone's making yeah, them yeah. anymore but you know completely Redone. revamped yeah, um, excellent and That's so yeah um, uh, it's um, and then yeah we saw our 48 hours film there as well because I did 48 oh, hours yeah. this year um, I think they're still getting some of the running of it going and I think yeah. it's going to be from the sound of things, it's going to be more event-driven than a yeah. thing where they have films every week because yeah. now New Lynn has those um, Reading Cinemas that do $10 yeah. hour films, so it's pretty hard to compete against that. And yeah. it's a big space, so to heat it and to fill it up and staff it, it um, yeah. is tough, yeah. So, but... Uh, yeah, events are the thing, and um, hopefully we'll be hearing soon about when the yes. marathon might be, yes, it's that would about be, that, uh, time.
1: that would be that would be good. Yeah. I, think, I wonder if uh, things are just uh, going a little bit slower in terms of notification, because uh, Ant's been pretty busy, I think.
0: Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, Ant was in Vienna and yeah. Yeah, all these other things, um, but um, we're, we're counting down to it. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, on pretty that exciting. note, um, did you have any other... Uh, Bits that you want to throw into this one before we close the door? Um, um, oh, just uh, just
1: to say, I've um, been uh, having a bit of a push with my 52 films um, by women for 2016, and that's been going really well. And obviously the Alison MacLean, yeah, um, and that and a um, Beau Travail. I saw you watch. Yeah, which, which was is fanta- Claire Denis. That, um, la, that yeah. closing sequence that goes with um, almost into the credits with um, Denis Lavon oh, yeah. dancing in this club by himself. Oh my God! It's
0: one of those things that yeah. It's just so saying, saying that is, I was like, well, yeah, I guess that's a spoiler, but it's impossible to spoil. Um, yeah. I mean, I feel like Claire Denis is the great filmmaker of movement. Yeah. And and anything that she does with bodies and movement yeah. is incredible. And Beau Travail has such a um, reliance on group masses yeah. of movement and yep. these these maneuvers. It's basically her retelling of Melville's Billy Budd mm. in, um, Northern Africa. Is that right? Morocco or something? Uh, yes. It's an, uh, yeah, it's uh yeah. So it's a French foreign legion. Yeah. Unit based up in, in North Africa. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't watched it for ages, but I've, I've seen it a few times and, um, it's, um, yeah. When Dennis Levant started getting, um, a lot of notice for Holy Motors. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, well, this is the guy who a did, um, yeah that beautiful run in the earlier Leo Skarak's movie, movie Song, oh, that yeah. that shot that where he's running down the street in a single take dancing to Modern, Modern Love. Love. Yeah. And then he's also done that dance scene at the end of Beau Travail. And he's yeah. just like, I don't know of any actor who can provoke so much emotion out of just what it is essentially dance, yeah. you know? And was yeah. and, and almost stone-faced. I mean, he's almost got like that Buster Keaton yeah. kind of like thing and you don't really have any sense of the emotional weight of it and that and that's a film whose end just probably shouldn't even work on paper yeah
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, you're like how does it connect i mean it connects thematically and in, in terms of the character but not in terms of uh, like if you just showed the images side by side with the rest of the film yeah you know, what the hell <laughs>
0: yeah well yeah and, and it's one of those um, i feel like um, i get in a lot of arguments with people because of Uh, the more I work, the more I get frustrated with script and everybody Mm. holds up script as the thing and that's a perfect example of a script that you could give to 50 filmmakers and you could Mm. give to great talented filmmakers and none of them would stick the ending like that because it's all about what's not on the page and what can't be on the page and what's um, the intuition about the feel of the film and all these other moments and performance and how actors express those things and I think that you know obviously there's great films that can be developed from great scripts um, but I think that you know the script can often be quite limiting and this is something Christopher Doyle talked about is that you know you can be on set and just you know so deeply enmeshed in your script and what's there is and not be like no we're in this room yeah right now let's be present and yeah. figure out how to make the best thing we can mm mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah. so th- th- that was fantastic. And I've been watching a, f- a few others, um, some crappy ones as well, but uh, I would uh, encourage people to keep going it's a few more months at the end of the year, see if you can make the 52,
0: that'd be great. Yeah, I'm pretty behind. Oh, yeah. I watched <laughs> Thelma and Louise last night, that doesn't quite know, count. No, think, but, uh, you know, two female leads, female out women. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's two women, so that should uh, count yeah. as <laughs> it now. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's it's been, um, I mean, in part because... I've been going to so many screenings Readings, yeah. and that takes up a huge amount of time and then and, um, something and, s- and about. so few so few women are getting the chance to make big films yeah. you know and um, and hopefully there'll be a few more this year but I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head that's yeah. coming up that's you yeah know, I mean most of my new
1: stuff um, was um, you know filled out of the festival um, so international smaller scale pieces um, some really good ones but yeah but yeah in terms of other stuff that's sort of going back into um, films that I haven't seen
0: <laughs> yeah yeah and that's um, I and mean, there's still lots of great stuff out there yeah. I and mean, we talked about doing the, um, something out of the BBC Top 100 which we still could if anyone yeah. wants to tweet us and say what we should do next we'll uh, yep. have a listen because you know uh, we might as well be dedicated to whatever listeners are yep. out there um, but The Headless Woman by Lucretia Martel yeah. uh, is a highly acclaimed film that I haven't got around to watching. Yeah, and I know that there's lots of other fantastic films yeah. by female filmmakers that it's just... Um, it, it is one of those things that I went into with A Hiss and A Roar, and then um, between festival and um, new releases and just other things that like caught my eye, sort of went on the back burner. Yeah. On that All note, right? yeah, I guess if any if anyone has any other ideas or wants to give us feedback on how this one went and if they like more of these, or if we should just... Go back to doing one every time there's a festival. Uh, <laughs> let us know at uh, Jacob Bunny and Dilla Monster on Twitter. Yep. Otherwise, till next time. And this is Doug. This is Jacob. And you, this has been Best Worst Podcast. Cheers. Cheers.